Um, for those who don't know, we're the Griffin family. We've been asked to come up um, to share the first, uh, um, or uh, share a couple things for Advent for the first time this year to kick things off. So um, we're grateful to be up here and um, just, we thought we'd like to share just a little bit of a family tradition that we do, something that we've done in the last few years to kind of help keep the focus on really what all of Christmas is about in, uh, in Advent itself. So Audra's going to share just one quick thing for us, and uh, I've got some that we'll, we'll read. Hello. Um, I am really emotional, and I did not think I would get here. But I see my sweet friends walk in, and I think it would be appropriate to recognize that we all sometimes enter the season with some griefs of our own. And um, even if those griefs pass for us, I think when you see your friends, people that you love go through that, it kind of brings those memories and those griefs back. And so I think it's okay to recognize that it's okay to be in a season of grief while also be immensely joyful and have that joy. Um, and I know that we're talking about hope. They don't like it when I cry, but they should be used to it by now. Um, I know that we're talking about hope and I bring up joy, but they kind of go hand in hand. Um, and that kind of relates really well to our tradition. Um, we're really into music in our household. Adam has read some psalm lyrics from time to time here in church. And so music is just a really big thing in our house. And um, we love those, you know, those typical Oh Holy Night and angels we have heard on high. But uh, the tradition that came to mind when we were asked to come up here was the Sidewalk Prophet song, Oh, What a Glorious Night. And that's just like the song in our household. And I think the reason why it resonates so well for us is because, you know, when we enter in Christmas seasons and there's a, if there's a heaviness, if there's a grief, you know, you're able to sort of set that aside when you hear that song and you can't help but just be completely joyful and completely um, reminds you of what all of this is about, what this season is about. And it's, it's, it just kind of, makes us really happy and joyful. And we love singing it as a family. We've been doing it for years. Um, hopefully that never fades. Why are you lingering from me? Come here. So um, that song reminds us of the hope that we have in Christ and the, the hope and the assurance of all that is to come as believers in Christ. And so, um, <laughs> yeah, so here are our children. And we are full of hope and we're full of joy. And that song is a huge part of our Christmas season. You're not going to sing it? I'm not going to no. sing it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, oh, actually, should we let that now before we? Yeah. So, today we were asked to light the first candle of the Advent wreath, the candle of hope. Oh, thank you. So, like, like few years we've lived in through, or we've lived through, there seems much in this world that can make us feel hopeless. And there are many things in this world we put our hope in, but there is nothing we can compare to finding true hope in Christ. You see, the hope that comes from God is given to us by God. It flows from the faith he gives us. We hope in him, knowing him, and knowing he will keep all his promises. This Christmas, we can experience his hope in a real way by making certain our heart's affection is on him as we celebrate his first advent, even as we look forward with great anticipation to his second advent like never before. This candle that represents hope is sometimes called the promise candle and is lit in the expectation of the coming Messiah. The Bible is full of the promises of God. He made them on purpose and keeps them perfectly. 
God has already fulfilled many of his promises in sending his son the first time, his first advent. Because of this, we can live in confident expectation or hope that he will perfectly fulfill the rest as, as we approach his second return, his second advent. Having hope often includes having to wait, and waiting is hard. The Christmas season is the perfect place to practice faith and waiting. When you're waiting on the Lord to answer your prayers and to return again in power, remember the 400 years of silence as God's people waited for the Messiah. Take time to reflect on that fact, that God's timing is way different from ours. The story of Jesus' birth gives us assurance and hope because even though the waiting lasted for decades, God broke through at just the right time and he changed the world and he will come again and complete what he has started. Don't ever lose hope in that. Are you willing to plant faith, live in hope and wait upon God? Can you hope in Christ and hang on to him? If nothing seems to be appearing on the horizon today, just wait for it. He is coming. We light this candle today and throughout this week as a reminder that God always keeps his promises, even to those who have little faith and have lost hope. Just wait and you'll see. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the hope that you give us, that after really thousands of years of waiting, of waiting for a way for us to be made right with you that at just the right time Jesus came into the world at the perfect time and though it seemed like forever for the people waiting he did come and it seems like a long wait until you come again Lord it really does but we praise you because we already get to look back and see that he's come, that he has come to this earth, lived a perfect life, and gave himself up for us, that we could be made right with you. We praise you, Lord, that, that you give us the faith, and you give us the hope, and, and you give us the promise of the Holy Spirit in us to sustain us until... Either we come to you by a natural end or you come back to us. And we look forward to that and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And thank you, Griffin family. How sweet is that? Um. Would you guys stand with me? Grab your Bibles and open them up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's not where I had planned to start, but as Audra so sweetly said, it is fitting to acknowledge um, the Sweet Price family. And it's not coincidental that it actually fits really well with what we're talking about today and what we were just in, because we just finished 1 Thessalonians Last week, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13, God's word says this. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we, do, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with those words. Love you guys. Father, I just thank you. Um, 
I thank you already for this morning and just the reminder of your sweet promises and um, a season to celebrate your first advent, your first coming, your first fulfillment of so many of those promises, but not the last. Um, you are still moving your story forward. And even though um, parts of that story in this broken world um, seem tragic, it's because we see them from this lens, but from yours. As we were reminded of earlier, this momentary light affliction is producing in us an eternal weight of glory. So Lord, I do pray for the Price family right now. I thank you for um, just their amazing testimony. This has already been prayed this morning. I thank you for um, the truth that Patricia is, wouldn't come back if she could because she has entered into a glory that is far beyond all comparison. And that's what awaits all of us. That inheritance that is being stored up in the heavenlies for us. So Lord, as we celebrate Christmas, may it be a season like, like never before in a season like we've probably never lived before. That it, that it reminds us to fix our hearts on home. This place is not our home. We are sojourners passing through. Encourage our souls on the journey. Lord, I pray that as we continue to worship you now in your word, you would fill us with hope overflowing that it would be so overwhelming to us that, we, that, that, that the world could not wring it out of us. Lord, we look forward to the ministry of your spirit in this place this morning. And all God's people said, amen. Please have a seat. Well-known passage in Isaiah 7, 14 says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. A virgin will be with child. And she will call his name Emmanuel. That actually, that, that name Emmanuel actually means, tr literally translated means God with us. But did you know that the idea of Emmanuel didn't start with Isaiah 700 years before Jesus? Like we have this idea that, that, Jesus, that, that Isaiah was simply projecting forward 700 years to when Christ came. And he did. And the, and the, and the prophecy of Isaiah is full of those promises that were fulfilled in the first coming and in the second coming. But really the idea of God with us started all the way back in the garden. That, that God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. And then when they severed that relationship, the rest of this story is about Emmanuel. It actually, the, the, the name Emmanuel is just a, is a, is a compound word in Hebrew. El is the name for God. It's where we get the idea of Elohim. Emmanuel, or a version of that in Hebrew, is with us. So Emmanuel is God with us. That's ultimately what the word, and it was promised all the way back. It first shows up in like Genesis 22, when God promises to Abraham, I will be with you. And then he says it again in Genesis chapter 26 with um, Isaac. He says, I will be with you. I will be Emmanuel. And then it goes on in chapter 28 when he says the same thing to Jacob. And then also in, in, in Genesis 36 or 37 when he, when he promises it to Joseph, he says, I will be with you in prison. And it doesn't end there because in Exodus, the, the Exodus story, Moses, you know, a couple thousand years later, Moses, show, or a thousand years later, Moses shows up and, from Abraham and, and, and God at the beginning of the Exodus story in Exodus 3 and at the end of the Exodus story in Exodus 31, God says to Moses, I will be with you. God has always been a with us God. In fact, it doesn't even end there. When Joshua is getting ready, when Moses dies and Joshua is getting ready to enter the promised land in Joshua chapter one, do you remember what God, how does God encourage Joshua to be strong and courageous? He actually says to him, I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will be Emmanuel to you as I was Emmanuel to Moses. And then he actually makes the same promise to the prophet Samuel 
in 1 Samuel chapter 3, and he makes that promise multiple times to David, who is the king after God's own heart. So what's the point? The point is that God has always promised that if, if we will enter into his space, he has entered into ours. Right? He is not a God far off. He doesn't stay far away and go, good luck reaching me. He has always been a God pursuing us. That's his heart. He is a pursuing God. He didn't just invent it with Jesus. Now, here's what I want to show you something really quick, though, before we actually get to our passage in Mark today. We just finished, our D groups just finished up this last week. If you're doing the D group reading, we did 60 readings through the Gospel of Matthew. Find Matthew chapter 1, and I want to show you how this relates specifically to the Gospel story, specifically to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, quoting the verse in Isaiah that I just read, Isaiah 7, he says, Matthew writes this in Matthew 1, 23. So at the beginning of his gospel, which is 28 chapters, we spent three months reading through it. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And here, here's where he, he actually translates it for us, which translated means God with us. Now turn to the end of the gospel, Matthew 28. In verses 19 and 20, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am Emmanuel. That, that in, in Bibleology, hermeneutics, that's what's called an inclusio. When, when a book or a chapter or a letter begins with a thought and ends with a thought, it's the author's way of saying everything in the middle of that is really the point. So when, when Matthew, on purpose, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, and she shall bear a son and call him Emmanuel, and he clarifies it by saying, just as if to drive the point, which means God with us, and then he ends his gospel with the very words, and I will be with you, Emmanuel, always, even to the end of the age, it is Matthew's way of letting us know that the point of God's gospel story is his presence in our lives. And he has not forsaken that. He has not given up on us. And we sh certainly should not give up on him. And so part of what we're trying to do in this Advent season is we're, is we're trying to, as we've been praying and talking already this morning about, is how do we renew, like, renew our minds in a world that, that especially now, ironically, just like Easter, right, remember? You guys, do you remember what it felt like not being able to gather at Easter? Do you remember what it felt like even after we were able to regather? I mean, there were some hard months in there, like, you know, April, May, June, July even, right? Like, yeah, there were some hard times. And there were, there were some times where, where we were sitting here, like, going, are we the only people left in the world? Like, because it was a handful of us hanging out. It isn't coincidental that the two big holidays for Christianity, Easter and Christmas, the enemy is ramping up his game, right? And we cannot let him win. But the only antidote to the enemy's attack is renewing your mind with the truth of who Christ is, right? The only vaccine for this virus that's going around, and I'm not talking about COVID, I'm talking about sin and discouragement and depression, is to be reminded that Jesus Christ came to bring us hope and love and joy and peace. So what we're doing is part of what we're doing is at your table, there are, um, we have plenty of these books. There's more on the back table over there. I've got more in a box in my car, um, but they are available to you um, so that you can, um, they're devotional books. And the idea is it follows along with what we're doing as a, as a church on Sunday. So this week we're talking about hope and, and the first the first section, the first week in here is on hope. There are daily readings. I, we also came up with some expanded readings that, that coincide with the reading in your devotional. So the idea would be two things. One, that you as a family would sit down and find time each day 
whether it be hopefully together, but if not, then even just individually, because you can take more than one per family if you need them, um, would be to sit down and, and read through the daily readings, because we've, we, it is the, it, it, like, no, I mean, this has been my soapbox forever, right, being in God's Word every day, because I'm just telling you, like, it is, it is critical right now that you renew your mind with all that is good and right and lovely and pure, and the only, the best way to do it is to be in God's Word every day, and especially if you can do it around community, whether that community is just your family or the church community, etc. So one, so take, Take one, take as many as you need for your family, and then also take one or two for people that you know that might need a little encouragement this time of year. And say, hey, we would love for you to, to walk through this with us and just talk about what you read. So that's part of how we're trying to combat all the negativism that is happening in our world right now. Because Advent, Advent is just it's a season, the church has been celebrating it since, frankly, the beginning. Right? And it's been, it is just a season, Advent just means coming. It's a season of hope. It's a season where we look back at his first coming, and it reminds us of the promises he fulfilled, and that's what that handout on your table was all. It shows you all the promises that he has fulfilled in his first coming, and it, makes, and it helps us look forward with great expectation to his second coming. So with that, open your Bibles up to Mark chapter 5, which is where we're going to be today. And we're going to start in this series that we're just calling God with us. And each week we're going to look at a different aspect of God being with us, how he brings us hope, love, joy, and peace. But we're going to do it by, because by, I can't think of, a, as I prayed about what passages to teach through, because we don't generally teach topically here at Cornerstone. So rather than just find a whole bunch of verses that have the word hope in it and say, let's talk about hope today, right? I wanted to say, no, how can we find hope by, by looking at the person and work of Jesus Christ? So every one of these weeks, that's what we're going to do. So next week, we're, gonna, we're not just going to look at all the passages that talk about God's love. We're going to look at a scene where Jesus loves us well, right? And, and, and that's going to go on throughout. So today's, is God, today's message is God with us brings us hope. And the, and the question that we're looking at today in all of this is, how does Jesus bring us hope here and now? How does, and we're going to look at a really intimate scene of how Jesus brought hope to some very hurting people. And what, this, and what the passage is going to show us is that he is the hope for the face in front of us. He is the hope for the desperate among him. And he is the hope for the hopeless around him. So let's pick it up in the first point, and we're going to look at how, how Jesus is the hope for the face in front of him. Look at chapter 5 and verse 21. It says, when Jesus has, had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, and so he stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named, named Jarius Came, came up and, and on seeing him fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay hands on her so that she will get well and live. And he went off with him and a large crowd was following after him. Because Jesus always had time for the face in front of him. I mean, I know we picked it up right in the middle of this gospel, but, but if, you, if you remember back at the beginning of the gospel of Mark, which jumps right in at the beginning of, I mean, Jesus is already, like the first part of Mark is repent and believe in the gospel, and Jesus is on the move. And he's healing all these people, and it says that he's in Peter's mother's house, and he's healing people all night long. He's, I mean, the, the whole, actually in the Greek, it actually says the whole world is seeking after him. So Jesus was massively popular to the people and he was pursued greatly. So, so we have this idea that, well, you know, if he just didn't, if he just wasn't so, if, if he lived in this distracted time or if he lived in this time where there's so many other things going on, he, he wouldn't have been so people oriented. Guys, he is massively um, being presumed upon. Like he is, he is physically in his humanity exhausted. That's why he falls asleep on the boat, right? In the, in the storm, 
He is, because everybody is pursuing him. And yet, even in the scene that we're looking at right here, he says, he says, there's such a large crowd when he gets off the boat, he can't even get through the crowd to get away from the lake. He stays by the seashore. And yet, even in the midst of all of those people and all of that pressure and all of this, help me, help me, help me, help me, here comes this man. He's like, my daughter is dying. Help me. Help me. And it's, all, and it's like he is the only man in the world to Jesus. I'll be honest, guys. I am so convicted by that because that is so hard for me. Like, it is so easy for me to look past you while you're talking to me to see what else is going on, right? And whether that's physically look past you, which sometimes I will do, or even just mentally, like only half pay attention. And in this world that we're in now where there's so much distraction with, with devices, it is so easy for us to believe that we can multitask our, our task ourselves into like actually paying attention to somebody and still doing stuff on our computer or still watching something on our phone. It just isn't true. So the question becomes, can we just be present with the person in front of us? Like Jesus was always fully present with the person in front of him. Now here's what's interesting about this, and we're going to come back to it in our last point. But look at, look at verse 23 when he says this. He, when, the, when the father says, please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. Do you know that that word there in the Greek, get well, is, 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 has its root in the Greek word sozo? Do you know where that Greek, how that Greek word is translated almost all the time in the New Testament? Saved. Saved. Really what the dad is saying is, come lay hands on her and she will be saved. Now, he may just be speaking from death physically. But we'll see here in a few minutes that actually that isn't what Jesus means. That ultimately this idea of his, his presence bringing saving faith is what the New Testament is all about. So, so he says he, she will be saved, actually not just get well, but be saved. And he went off with him in a large crowd and was, I'm sorry, and, and, and I'm sorry, and a large, even, even as he goes off with him, this large crowd is following hard, like won't leave him alone. So I, I thought we would just take a minute before we move on to the second point, and I'm just going to pray right now that, that this season we would be a people who would just be, who would be better at being present with the people in front of us. So Father, I do come to you, Lord, and I, um, I confess before my brothers and sisters in Christ that um, I am often distracted and um, and you have convicted me of this um, for quite a while, that, that ultimately the most important person to Jesus was always the person right in front of him. So Lord, help us to be that kind of people. Lord, help, like help us whether it be um, starting in our own homes with our spouses or, and our kids, and Lord, help us to put down our devices and to turn off our laptops or to, or, and just be present when someone needs us to be present. And, and even beyond that, like help us, help us, Lord, as we're out shopping and as we're um, going to school or whatever it is, Lord, help us to ask people genuinely, how's your soul? And then be willing to sit and listen. And, and, and help us to have a heart that really cares. Not just going through the motions, but Lord, I pray that you would help us as, as your ambassadors for Christ, that you would help us to follow hard um, in, a, in a way that, um, that helps, that, that when people are with me, when people are with us, they would feel you. And I pray this in Jesus' name and for your glory alone. Amen. Okay, so the question is, how does Jesus bring hope to us here and now? Well, one, he is hope for the, for the face in front of him. Like, like be present with the, look around for how you can be Jesus to the person in front of you. The next thing we're going to see in this really amazing story is, is that he is the hope for the desperate among him. And there's a lot of desperate people among us right now. So look at verse 25. A woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians 
and had spent all that he had had and had not and and was not helped at all, but all that she had had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up to the crowd behind him and touched his cloak, for she thought, if I just touch his garment, I will get well. Immediately the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt her body that and she felt in her body that she had been healed of her affliction. Immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you, and you say, Who touched me? He's like, Because everybody's touching you. And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. A couple things that are, I mean, guys, like that, that story is so powerful like if you just visualize what happened in that scene, like it almost needs no commentary, but except that we ought to just sit and like simmer in what just, in, and let it linger. Like, like think about that scene for a minute. This woman who has, who has been suffering her whole life, guys, and not just physically. You got to understand that in that culture, that woman was an outcast. The very fact that she pressed her way into the crowd just to get to Jesus, could have gotten her killed in that culture because of what was wrong with her. So not only was she hurting physically, she was hurting emotionally. She had been, she, she had been left alone for 12 years. And oh, by the way, it says that she had spent all of her money. So she's hurting financially. She's hurting in every way you could possibly be hurting. And, and she thinks to herself, if if all I could do is just be close to him, if I could just get close enough to touch him, I think he could help me. And I stop and I think to myself, man, I, why don't I think about Jesus that way? Like, like, like I can, like, why don't I, st- when, when I open up the word tomorrow morning, like, why do I not have her heart? I go, man, if, if I can. Lord, if I could just get close enough to touch you right now. You would heal me. It's because so many other things vie for my attention. She had a singular focus and it was Jesus Christ. She knew it was the only hope. Do we? Do you believe that? Does my heart, does my soul believe that? That the, my only real hope for hope is Christ? Right? Because if I do, all that other stuff that, I, that, if, that is disappointing me and letting me down won't matter as much. So we as a people need to, I, 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 lo, I lo, one, look, look at verse 28. For she, for she thought, if I could just touch his garment, I will get well. Guess what word that is again? Sozo. If I could just touch his garment, I will be saved. I will be saved. If I could just feel him, it is a saving touch. And that's who he is. And then I love how, it just, this just came to me as I was reading it. Look at verse 34. And he said to her, daughter, your, father, your faith has made you well. Your faith has, guess what? Sozoed you. Your faith has saved you. It's saving faith here, not just healing faith. But I love this too. The word daughter there. It's the only time in all of the New Testament Jesus uses that word. He doesn't ever use it with Mary and Martha. He doesn't use it. He only uses it with this woman. It is a sign of complete enduring affection. Like he's like, man, you are my child. 
of course I'll heal you. And that's why, and that's why not only did I, did I heal you, but I wanted to stop and have this moment with you. Like I wanted to take a moment and go, wait, who, who touched me? Because I want to have this, I want to have a moment with this person and go, man, you are not just healed, you are saved. Right? Jesus always has a moment for you. He, he is never too busy. It's just so hard right now, guys, for us to stay in that place, right? To stay in the place, the, the place mean, that place meaning the place where we just believe that Jesus is enough. Right? Because, because like no other time probably in history, it is so easy for the world to distract us and it is so easy for the enemy to derail us because we used to have to go looking for ways to be distracted. Like you had to go out to the movies. You had to go, like you had to, you know, at the very least you had to turn on the television like, and, and actually get up to do it, right? And then, oh, I don't want to watch the commercial, but now I got to go change the channel. Like it is so easy now to be distracted in this world that, that for us to be able to actually go, okay, so how do I stay in a place like where this woman was like, man, well, one, we have to stay desperate. Like the, part of why she reached out was because she was in a desperate place. And we have to acknowledge our own desperation. Like, I have to acknowledge that apart from Christ and his work in me, it's, it's, it's what we talked, it's, it was the calling passage that Abby read, that apart from Christ and his work in me, I have no peace with God. So I need to remember that. And then the other thing is, I need to pursue him even as he is pursuing me. But part of how we can do that is if, is if we're not just so worn out. Right? Part of why like, like, it's so important for us to gather as long as God gives us opportunity to do so is because we just need, we need this time to soak. Right? To be reminded in, in, each, in song and in the word and in the one another to just go, man, yeah, the world is out there and it's hard and dry, but we just need time to sit and be still before the Lord and encourage one another. So the, the question, the table talk question today that's on the back of your connecting points um, is actually out of your devotional book. It's on page 13, I think it was. It doesn't actually have a page number on it, but it's the first part of the hope section. But I'm just going to have you take a couple of minutes and talk about this because I just, just as a way to encourage each other. So the question is, what is your greatest hope this season? What is your greatest hope this season? I know it's been a quiet morning, so it's going to be really hard to actually make some noise. So just, just think of some, like, what, is some, what are some things you're hoping for this season? And guys, this is what's, don't, everything doesn't have to be super spiritual. It can be, but it could also just be, I'm hoping for, I don't want to give it away because I don't want, but it could be, it could be other stuff. So it's like, I always feel like you guys are all sitting around going, I'm supposed to have a really good Bible answer for this. Now, just what is your heart saying? Right? We're family. So take a couple of minutes. And just what, what, would, what is your greatest hope this season? Anyone want to share something? How about something that isn't spiritual, but you're willing to share? Besides donuts. Stephanie. Some time to sit and be still with my family. That's a good thing. Yeah, that's, um, those are hard to come by too, aren't they? It's amazing how, yeah, one of the things we had to start doing, because, you know, part of what, I mean, the, the rea our reality is our reality, right? The world is what it is. I mean, the world is, is forever inundating our lives. So we have to come up with strategies to overcome that. So one of the things, and we haven't done it yet this, this weekend, but we started doing a few years ago on Thanksgiving weekend was we sit down with our calendars and we just block out between now and Christmas Family, 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 family. Because otherwise, we, we get to like December 20th and we realize, man, we have had very little time for just the five of us to do any of the Christmassy kind of stuff we like to do. And so you got to be proactive. Like if you just let the world happen to you, it will happen. And it won't go well. Right? So, so you got to be thinking through that. So that's good. Thank you for that reminder. We got to do that today. Yes, Time with extended family that you haven't been able to do because of COVID. Yeah, that's um, yeah, that's huge, isn't it? It's yeah. 
I know it, it's um, like no time we have been in, right? And, um, but don't let it steal your joy. Good. Yes. Spend more time with your family? Good. Like your grandparents and stuff too? Yeah, awesome. Good. Good job. That finances won't get in the way of Christmas with your family this year. That's, yeah, that's a good one too. I mean, it's a hard time for people. Like it's, there's a lot to be praying about. Um, yeah, that's good. It's, yes, dear. Share the gospel out of the mouth of babes. Amen. Very sweet. You know, and we kind of joke about this in the past Christmas seasons, but, you know, it's okay to say Merry Christmas still. Just don't say it like you're, like, proving a point. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, what I, here's what I mean by that. You, you know, you, you walk up to somebody at the store and you're like, you know, Merry Christmas! Like, because you're like just gonna make sure that I'm still allowed to say it too. Like you know, wait a minute. Okay, you know it's all right. Just, just, just Merry Christmas. It's it's okay to say that. Merry Christmas. You know, let me be the first to tell you that Merry Christmas. Because I mean, you just don't hear it anywhere anymore. But, um, and so yeah, so it's okay to say that. Any any others? Good stuff. Good stuff. Good stuff. Okay, let's, um, let's keep going. We're going to finish up and we're going to go into our time of response here in just a minute. But um, we want to see what happens to Jarius and his daughter. Um, and so, it, so remember, the question we're looking at today is, how does Jesus bring us hope here and now? Like, it's, it's easy to look back at a story like this or to, oh, yeah, okay, there and then and, the, and, and someday in heaven, I totally get that. But what about now? Well, one, he is the hope for the face in front of him, including your own. He is the hope for the desperate among him, including those moments when you or your loved ones are desperate, right? He is the hope. And he has, and he always has a moment for you. He always has a moment for you. And the last one is, he is the only hope for the hopeless around him. He is the hope for the, for the hopeless around him. So let's, let's pick it up in the rest of the story here. He says in verse um, 35, it says, while he was still speaking, so he's having this, he's, remember, he, he was on his way to Jairus's house to, to save his daughter. This woman touches him. He stops and has this moment with her because he always has a moment. And then he keeps going and, it's, and, and or it says while he's still speaking to her, that they, the synagogue official comes and says, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? So remember, this whole time, nobody, they, none of these players know who Jesus is. Like none of them are like, oh, he is the son of God. And he can do anything he wants. Like they're not, we, we look back at this and we know how the story ends, right? But they don't. They just think he's a teacher that seems to have some kind of power. It says, but Jesus overhearing what was being said, said to the synagogue official, do not be afraid any longer, only believe. Do not be afraid any longer, only believe. And I didn't know it, but that's what's on the chalkboard. I, I didn't ask. I don't know who did it this week, but that's what was on the chalkboard, which is such a great point because, guys, here, to, to put on our little thing for today's, today's message, here's, here's why. Because, because fear is what the enemy peddles. Right? So, 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 so Jesus, in this moment, he's having this dialogue with Jarius and with whoever this, the, the person was that came with the news that his daughter is dead. But ultimately, Jesus knows who he's really dealing with. He's really dealing with Satan. And he's saying Satan lives in fear and deception. And Christ lives in life and truth. And so he's, what he's saying to Jarius is stop, stop listening to the whisper of the enemy and just believe me. Just believe I can do what I say I can do. And I wonder, like, in my own life, how often I, I mean, I, how, like, I, you get bad news, you get a, you get a, you get a phone call. Um, and there's that moment. John, I hope you don't mind me sharing, but, um, Sean and I were talking on the phone last night, and 
And I was sharing with him just how proud I am of just the witness that he has been. Guys, it's really easy for me to sit up here and say, God is sovereign or he's not. And if our God is a sovereign God, then he, and he works all things together for good for those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. And I can say that all I want. And it's not until you get that phone call from the state trooper that you really know if you believe it or not. And to see a man <laughs> lead his family through it for the glory of God. I'm just proud of you. Because it is so easy to be afraid and to disbelieve in that moment. Right? Those are the moments that faith is forged. They just are. Right? It's in this moment when Jarius, he could have just walked away. And he, and he doesn't. They keep going. Right? This is where the win is, right here for Jarius and his daughter. It was inevitable that Jesus was going to save him, but it wasn't inevitable that Jarius was going to believe it. So Jarius keeps going. So they come to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw the commotion and the people loudly weeping and wailing. This is They were big into mourning in that culture. And entering in, he said to them, why are you making so much commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but she is asleep. And we've talked about how that's a, that's a Bible term that, that often worked with death. She was really dead. Um, and they began laughing at him. But putting them out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room. Here's what's interesting about that, guys. You can't, you can't read this account and not think back to Jesus, John chapter 11, Jesus and Lazarus. Remember, his friend Lazarus dies. Jesus waits not three days, but four days just to prove the point. He shows up. Mary and Mar you know, they're all wailing. Oh, my goodness, if you'd have been here, he would have lived. Martha's like, why didn't, you, why didn't you come? And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. No one will die if they believe in me. Even if they die, they will live, he says. But do you remember what else it says in John, 30, in John 11? Shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Because he, he, it, it still broke him that they were so broken. Right? He is not indifferent to our suffering. We have this idea that somehow because Jesus knows it's all going to come out in the end, okay? He knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. So why is he weeping? Because they are. Because I am. Because the Price family is. Because we are. Because our world is. Jesus isn't some indifferent person that's just like, yeah, it's gonna, guys, just hang, it's gonna be okay. Buck up. He is going, it's gonna be okay. And I still hate that you have to live in this fear and darkness. It grieves him. But he says to them, he's like, I love how he's like, All right, everybody just out. Just out. Get, get you bunch of you bunch of you, you, you little faithers, get out. Mom, dad, come here. Oh, by the way, come on, boys, come with me, because you're going to need to see this for later. Right? And then he says, taking the child by the hand, he looks, he says to her, Talitha kum, which translated means little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old. Like, it's weird little commentary there. Like, somehow, I don't know if that's like to tell us that only 12-year-olds could walk, or, um, but... Bottom line is, he heals her. He knew he was gonna. And it says, and immediately they were all completely astounded. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And he said that something should be given her to eat. Isn't that interesting? Like, like, I, I, like wh why is that? Because, because Jesus is not only care, not only, he, he knew her life was in his hands, but he also wants to meet her need. Like, like why, you're Jesus. Why are, you, why are you making dinner plans for this girl? Honestly, why? 
Because he doesn't just care about life and death matters. He cares about all kinds of details. So if you're sitting here today and you are spiritually dead or you're spiritually dried out, or maybe you're just a little bit hungry, like he knows and he cares and he can provide. Like, I just love that, 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 that Mark adds that little bit in there to say he didn't just do this big miracle as a way to show off his power. He really cared about this little girl. To the point of going, hey, give this poor girl something to eat. She's probably hungry. She's been sick for a while. Right? That's our Savior's heart. And so as the music team comes up and, and the communion trays start going around and we're going um, to respond, um, the, 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 the music team is going to do a song. I want, you to, I want you to reflect on the words of this song and, and ask yourself, like, are you ready to meet Jesus as your source of hope in this way? Are you ready to meet Jesus as, as, as the person who, who, who understands what you're going through? Always has a moment for you. Right? And, and cares about even the smallest things that you care about. Guys, God came here. I don't know exactly how long, like how far that is. <laughs> like I don't know how far Jesus had to travel to come here, like Gabriel when he came. I don't, I don't know. I just know he didn't do it on accident. I know that, that he, didn't, he didn't do it and then go, well, I'll just see how it goes from here on out. Right? If he moved heaven and earth to punch a hole in this dark world that his light might shine in it, he still has purpose in your life. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for that truth. I thank you for the truth that, um, that you... You are the light that shines in the darkness. In a world that is too often consumed in things like fear and doubt and discouragement, distraction, you are a flicker of light that can brighten an entire room. We just got to know where to look. Lord, help us to be a people that, that, that believe that you will do what you said you will do, that believe that you are who you said that you are, that, you be, that we believe that we are to you who you claim us to be. Help us to be a people that no matter what is going on in our lives and how long or how hard it all seems. Tomorrow morning, we would wake up and go, I know that if I could just touch him, I'll be saved. Let our souls soak in the hope that is in Christ alone. In Jesus' name.